Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio, where we'll talk about news, education, and opportunities for small businesses on the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street and in Washington, D.C. I'm Michelle Yancey. And I'm Kyle Todd. Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Kyle. How are you this hot and sticky morning? It is hot and sticky, but all is well. Okay, good. I'm pretty sure that that Casey's going to talk about ice cream when we get her on the phone. I'm sure you will make sure that she does. That's all we need Whether she does or not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... Uh, we have uh, a couple of great guests today. Uh, we're going to be talking about money today, and we're going to be talking That's about important stuff. Yep, we're going to be talking about money for small business owners. So uh, hold tight for that. But first, we have to. Uh, we don't have to. We want. We want to thank our to sponsors. Thank our sponsors, the Department of Small and Local Business Development, and the Department of Housing and Community Development. It is their grant dollars to us that helps us on this show each week and it helps us provide resources to small businesses throughout the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street corridor so thank you to DSLBD and DHCD Uh, if you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Rhode Island Avenue radio uh, please give me a call 202-808-9050 that's the office number that's not this radio show number so uh, give me a call later uh, or send me an email kyle at riamainstreet.org okay um, so first and foremost fall fest just around the corner uh, September 30th uh, we are quickly running out of vendor slots um, and vendor registration is still open but we are almost completely booked up for vendor slots. That's so awesome. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, we've got some new vendors coming in that I'm very, very excited about. Um, and uh, it's going to be a, you guys are just going to have to show up to see how, how great it is. Um, but if you are interested in being a vendor at the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street Fall Fest, I highly encourage you to get over to riamainstreet.org and sign up now because we are running out of vendor spaces in and we want you there. Um, if you're interested in um, being a sponsoring partner for Fall Fest, again, head over to riamainstreet.org. Find out more information or shoot me an email, kyle at riamainstreet.org. Uh, okay, I think that covers it for now. Um, oh, oh, so this isn't, um, this is fun news, I think. Uh, for those of you who are fans of the public option, which is everybody. Which, yep. Because who doesn't like microbreweries? Um, and whiskey on tap. They have whiskey. Whiskey on tap? ginger beer on tap. Yeah. Oh. Who doesn't like that? Well, well, I, I know I like that. I, say, <laughs> I, I did not know they had it, so no. eventually I will join that legion. Um, but here's the important thing: they started opening on Thursday nights for open mic night. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, last Thursday was their was their first. Uh, well, not last night, but the Thursday before last was their first open mic night, and they had a great variety of um, of talent mm-hmm. being showcased, from music to um, poetry. Uh, one of our neighbors, who's a bit of a history buff, got up and talked about some of the history of Woodridge and Langdon, which was fascinating. Um, Did you learn anything new? Well, he kind of talks about it a lot. Ah, and, so you'd heard <laughs> and we're it. Friends, so I know. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, no, no, no. It's it was great stuff. It, um, and they're doing that every Thursday night. So, 
Uh, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, get over to Public Option and check out uh, Open Mic Night on Thursday nights. Okay, uh, moving right along. Uh, our guests joining us today um, are, I, I think, I think this is one of our most important interviews because access to capital for small businesses is, uh, well, it's a lifeline. It's we, Small businesses can't grow without that infusion every now and then. Or if they do, it's very rarely... Very rarely happens organically just by, by retail sales because sometimes you hit at this plateau where you just you can't grow anymore unless you have an influx of cash to help you buy the next packaging machine. Takes money or, to make money. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I am uh, super excited to welcome uh, Mr. Eddie Tuvin, the Senior Vice President of Commercial Banking Group um, at City First Bank, and Charlene Davis, the Vice President a branch relationship manager at City First Bank. Welcome, Charlene and Eddie. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Uh, happy to have you here. So, um, City First Bank—that's a—that's a, that's a DC-only bank, right? Yes, we are a single branch operation located at 14th and U here in the city. So, even though you are not here on Rhode Island Avenue, you are an important partner because you are what's called. Um, in acronyms, CDFI, which is a community community development, development. financial institution. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I went brain dead on what the D stood for there, but uh, yeah. So, um, what does that mean for people that don't know, like me? I think in the broad scheme of things, what it really means is that we are. Um, a mission-driven bank. That CDFI program is something under the U.S. Treasury, and it really doesn't mean. Uh, that there's a specific set aside or something like that. But we're unique at City First in that we have this socially conscious impact investment type of a mission, which says when you deposit your money with us, that money goes back here into this community. And we understand what happens with economic growth when you know, you've got a neighborhood that's um, a food desert or there's no services in that particular area or there's no community facilities in that particular area. What happens when a bank says, you know what, we're, we're going to be the first ones to go to, I'll, I'll give you an example, 8th Street Northeast and invest in the Atlas Theater and take that neighborhood from surviving and move it to thriving. And right here where we're sitting right now, I mean, this this is part of our whole, I was here yesterday, we've got a couple of clients up the street, I was at Zeke's Coffee looking at what happened there. We love small business, and we love this community, and I think the people who work at the bank are there for a reason because we're lenders with a heart. We're a little bit different. And, and, and you, don't, uh, you don't just uh, keep it to, uh, to small businesses. You also work with uh, nonprofits and individuals, yeah? Yeah, Charlene keeps them in tow. We have a number of uh, massive uh, nonprofit associations who entrust us with their funds. And again, I would say, first of all, and I'll let Charlene talk about this, but when you call our bank, somebody knows you. It's not, you know, somewhere in Carolina or California or Manhattan where the phone answers, press number one for this, press number 257 for that. You get Charlene Davis or you get one of her team members to talk to you and really handle your needs. It's old fashioned relationship, but in, in you know, when it, I'm not saying we don't have all the electronic bells and whistles, which she can talk about later, but it's different. It's a different, it's personalized experience. And, and you know, I think that is so critical because you know we're always talking to uh, to retailers, 
um, about how, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to compete with the online shopping, you have to create uh, a memorable experience for your customers. And, you know, I think in this, in this day and age of um, tremendous suspicion and doubt um, about the, the economy and the safety of, of our financial investments, I think the simple act of having a human being answer the phone and know who you are and take care of you because you are a customer that, that they know and care about, I think that's an amazing thing. Yeah, you know, it, it sounds crazy, but it really works. I mean, we have $274 million in total assets at the bank, and um, our total deposits are $238 million. When, it, when you look at our Tier 1 capital ratio, which is this thing that everybody sort of started looking at after the bank failures in 2008, we're at 20%. Um, risk-based capital ratio. That's really strong for a little bank. We're well capitalized. And again, these people who, they may get a higher interest rate somewhere else, but they know that our money goes back in the community and every small business deal that we do creates a scenario where somebody has to print new business cards, come in and replace the carpet, hire an attorney or an accountant to get the deals done. And, and it, it just it's exponential growth. And that's, that's the kind of impact we want to have in our own community. And we can watch. I mean, we watched what we did along 14th Street. And this was before our time there. We were at the big, bigger banks. We, we come from community banks, both Charlene and I. And we watched what happened on 14th Street as the impact of the investment that was made in some properties by City First helped turn it around. How long has City First been around a long time, a long time, and a lot of changes. And it's unique in that City First is actually owned by a nonprofit, so you won't oh. see that very often. But, no, no. You know, when I talk about all these deposits that we have, every you know, people come in, but most everyone's working on an electronic platform and so on. So, you all don't do individual personalized banking, or do you? Yes, we do both. Oh, you do both? Yes. Okay. So how does that work if you all just have one location as far as ATMs, if you have one location? How does that work? Well, even though we're a single branch operation, we're still able to offer all of the electronic um, methods to use your bank. Um, we offer the mobile banking, mobile deposits, so you're still able to make the deposits. For our small businesses, we offer the small machines, remote deposit capture, where a client can make deposits, their check deposits, by running them through a scanner that sits on their desk, as well as we've paired with Citibank um, to offer access to ATMs nationwide. Ah, okay. So we, um, there's a so list. So no one has to be fearful that if they're not in D.C. on 14th Street, Absolutely. they're going to be charged. Right. To get so money. there are millions of surcharges, ATMs that they can use. And then we're offering additional Surcharge products. Surcharge free? Surcharge free. Perfect. Yeah, thank okay. you, Michelle. Okay. <laughs> All right. Very good. Okay. So that, I mean, that is important. What are some of the other typical personalized services that you all offer? Maybe not, I know we're talking about small businesses, but talking about even if I wanted to come and open up an account, do you all have home mortgages or other loans? No, we are a commercial-based okay. bank, so we do offer the personal individual accounts. Okay. But for loan purposes, it's where we like to have a large impact, so it's more investments within the commercial arena. Okay. So I hear that you have worked on something pretty uh, 
important. That's what Eddie says. So why don't you tell our listeners about it? It sounds interesting. Well, to go back to the question you previously asked about accessibility to the bank, we are um, working on products now which allow for easier expense management from a com- um, from an accounting point of view. So offering what we call it now is a business card, which allows the um, owners of the bank to electronically transfer money to cards for their employees to use for easy use as well as for accounting purposes. And also the sole financial payroll cards. So as opposed to a client having to go to their employer or pick up their check, then go to the bank to cash it, when they wake up in the morning, the, the funds will be available directly to their cards as if they had direct deposit. Because what we've found, um, what we've discovered over the years is that a number of the clients in certain areas, they are going to check cashing places and they're spending more money than they are actually getting from oh. the checks in certain yeah. yeah, those check yeah. cashing places can uh, really take a bite out of a person's paycheck. Yes. So we're trying to find ways to help our clients have more of an investment in their employees as well. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And, you know, there's cases where, uh, you know, it may be a, a summer job for, mm-hmm. for a, a young person that um, they don't have a, a bank account and or their bank account isn't located here. Mm-hmm. You know, look, think about all the interns that, that come to D.C. during the summertime or right. all the kids getting high school jobs uh, before they go to college. Uh, that made no sense. I'm sorry about that. But anyway, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. um, that's a great program. So it's a, it's like a debit card then? Yes. That's great. That's great. And and I and it could also be used by small businesses as expense account cards. It's two different cards, but it co- accomplishes both of those goals. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how do you keep all of your clients straight if they if you know who they are that's pretty amazing they come in and <laughs> no no pressure but no who pressure, am i but right <laughs> um we have a phenomenal branch team and well the, the bank itself is phenomenal um of course with the branch we are the first people that most people come in contact with especially if you're walking through the front door and the team has a vested interest to make sure that every experience for everyone who comes in the door is a wow experience so it's important for us to know our clients, for know the background, to understand their situations. So they become part of the city first family. That's nice. great. So, so zeroing in on on some small business interest, then, um, what what are some of the first steps that a, a business is interested in getting a small business loan? Their 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 HVAC unit died. And, you know, they need a loan for, you know, anywhere from five to 10000 to to replace the HVAC unit. Um, where do they start with you guys? So every level of borrowing has a different set of uh, risk-reward, so to speak. And it's all going to be based with, really, how does the person handle their finances, uh, you know, both personally and corporately, and then also... What's the cash flow look like? What's the collateral look like? We're always looking at that. Even though we're a small bank, we look at these transactions in the same exact way as any other bank would from an underwriting perspective. And hopefully the talent that we bring to the table is going to be um, insightful, 
And so the first thing I'm going to tell you is we never turn anyone away without trying to explain to them what could they do to change their situation from a no to a yes. So we're very educational. Yeah, you have to be. I mean, I think it's important because a lot of borrowers, and and I'm I'm going to talk a little bit bigger than the size you were talking about, Kyle, because we really, I would say that for us in our division, we're looking at $250,000 up to about $4 million, and we can even get larger than that, and I'll explain that in a second. But for us, when a small business person comes, they have to make sure that they're in. I, I like to talk about it like this when I mentor uh, kids at Hopkins. It's you need to be in the right church on the right day, in the right pew, in the right seat, in front of the right priest. And why I say that is what's happened is we have this disconnect with what goes on on one side between the borrower and and, and the lender. And, and what it is is ever since 2008, there's been a huge amount of pressure placed on lenders to go out and sell, 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 sell. And so they get micromanaged, which it's, it's almost, no matter where you go, it's pretty much the same as a banker in the kind of business that we're in. I'm not talking about investment bankers or you know, big Wall Street types. I'm talking about community bankers right here on the ground, Main Street USA, helping people create jobs and fund their businesses, exactly what you said. And what happens is they, they end up that the banker hears about a deal and jumps on it and throws it on their pipeline so they can show their boss that it's a deal, but they had no business holding on to that because they're not the expert. So you have to make sure that if it's an equipment deal, you're working with the person that not only understands how to finance equipment, but specifically if it's a restaurant, do you understand it? Because restaurant equipment, the liquidation value could be 10%, and you have to have somebody that's expert in getting it through and what we call mitigating it. I have a friend, Alibe Robertson, great lender, a uh, young banker who once said in a meeting, you can't write loans, you can't underwrite loans to a zero default rate. You have to take in the mitigating factors of what's associated with it. So you've got to make sure that you're in the right place. Last thing, because I know you want to ask some other questions, but in 2008, after we had the banking crisis, the government started to talk about having the SBA become a direct lender. And I went to a couple of Congress people that I know and said, that doesn't make any sense. If the government gives a small business an SBA loan, what happens when they need checking and line of credit, other credit facilities? How do they grow out of a government guaranteed program into a regular commercial conventional loan program? What information, what history does the SBA have about a restaurant's cost of, uh, of goods? Is it 32% for food cost? It should be. If it's not, there's a big problem. They don't know that. What should be the you know, net margins for a hotel? What's the difference between limited service and full service? How many different revenue streams should a gas station have? Mm-hmm. What kind of seating should a movie theater have? Well, if a movie theater ha- doesn't have stadium seating today, if it's an old-fashioned, you know, flat theater like we used to have when Kyle and I were going to the movies back in the day, because <laughs> you all look young on the other side of the table. Back, <laughs> back when they only had organs playing yeah. along with the music. Yeah. And we were sitting there with our feet up, <laughs> right. you know, munching that popcorn, and everybody's turning around looking at us. Yeah, that was us. Um, you know, they, they go out of business within about three or four months after the stadium theater moves in down the street and we know that and we know about gyms and we know all the issues that that come up we have that knowledge so what do you have to do you have to be really prepared 
You have to have maintain good personal credit. You have to have good management skills within the industry that you're in. And I'm broadening this out from what the main question was about equipment. You have to have some cash so that you show that you have the, the wherewithal financially to stabilize yourself. You have to have numbers. We have one particular client. Uh, she is uh, the ultimate millennial, and she is an absolute numbers fanatic. She knows exactly how much it costs her for a piece of cheese on a sandwich that she sells, and she's selling sandwiches all over the city. And she's been extremely successful because she watched every single penny. So when I say borrowers need to be prepared, don't walk into a bank and say, well, I need working capital somewhere between $25,000 and $50,000. That's a 100% swing from one end (laughs) to the other. Show me where you're writing. Who are you writing the checks to? What do you need the money for? Show me where the money's going so I know exactly what it's going to do and be prepared. And that way you increase the probability of your success of getting a loan. Wow, I'm uh, that that is a lot of information and uh, incredible. I mean, it makes sense. Though, absolutely to, good to, information. Um, yeah. I hope well, it wasn't the longest answer in history on this radio show either. Well, trust me, no, it's not, it's certainly not. close, but no, no cigar. Yeah. Um, no. So, the businesses that uh, are your clients are based in DC. I mostly, would imagine mostly, not all, and. Um, you all are a community bank. How do you all determine uh, how you give back to the community? So that, you know, our executive team is really focused on giving back. And one of the things that we're really involved in is uh, the community development, the annual finance uh, symposium. We hold this conference every year. 300 and some people come to it. And it's collaborative amongst not just us, but, but other banks who participate with us as partners in these initiatives and you know we're not some big I mean there's 50 people in the bank you know we're we're we're, we have to be on two different platforms for our health care versus our dental and eye because we're so small and the changes to law but um, we're not some big huge contributor that has all kinds of grant money we are the recipient of a lot of grant money and through City First Enterprises we help put grant funds back in the community through little businesses where they take quasi-equity debt-type scenarios to help startups and sometimes work with us in conjunction with us. We might do a, a first loan to help somebody buy equipment, but the company's still shy of capital, and so they come in behind us in a second position. So we give back that way. We're trying to help make deals happen. We're trying to spread the word about community development finance and what it means and what does impact investment mean. And... Um, sort of, uh, I don't want to really say this, but we give a a conscious to some of the investors who invest with us because they know they're participating in doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, um, And I cannot uh, agree more with with that way of of doing business. I I think that, uh, you know, as as rapidly as D.C. is... um, welcoming new residents and and all of the development that comes along with it i mean our corridor is you know just now seeing all of the rapid expansion that that you talked about earlier on 14th street um and one of the reasons why our organization even got started was because as as people that lived here in this community we could see that development was going to be happening and we wanted to make sure that community members had a say in what that development looked like um and you know, there's there's not a, 
a week, sometimes a day that goes by that I'm not talking with developers working on big projects here uh, along Rhode Island Avenue. And I, I think that um, in many cases, um, developers have gotten a bit of a bad rap about you know not contributing back to the community um, and you know I think some of the some of the big national banks that work with developers also you know get lumped in with that as well um, but it's it's just not always the case and in many cases particularly here on Rhode Island Avenue because because we're attracting some good good programs here and good good development plans um, those developers are really interested in doing what's right for the community not only f- for them financially but also something that's going to be successful and a benefit to the community and um, and having a banking partner uh, that also cares about that that type of thing makes it much easier for them to do the right thing yeah, clearly you know you have to look at the difference between sort of you know it's kind of like the farm-to-table movement. Are you going to support local purveyors of food who are growing in your region, or are you going to buy your stuff from a hothouse in South America or Mexico or whatever? And there are a lot of local developers. I mean, you look at uh, W.C. Smith. I mean, they are really giving back. Look at Tom Bazzuto and his partners. It's unbelievable what they're doing in terms of giving back to the community. And, and I'm working on a big project right now that uh, 10% of the project. So just so you know the scope of what we do even though it's somewhat small, there's a, a very large project of um, 100 uh, new condominium units in the city. And it's f- being led by a, a massive development company, local but, but massive. I mean, it's way beyond our scope. But, but our board of directors, um, the loan committee, allowed me to um, fund... 10% of the units, because 10% of the units were inclusionary zone units and had to be sold at rates that were considered to be affordable based on city statistics. And so the project was $33 million and I said, could we lend $3.3 million? Now, I know my money's not going directly to those units, but theoretically, they let us do it, and it was great. And then, if you guys remember, um, in May... The mayor uh, called a conference over at um, in Anacostia in St. Elizabeth's in that new conference center that they have that's mm-hmm. really, really cool. If you haven't been there, you have to go see it. It's an old church chapel converted into a conference center, and it was called the Innovation Conference, and it kicked off a, a month of innovation that the mayor wanted to talk about, and they're redeveloping that whole campus. Well, a hop, skip, and a jump from there, um, you know, we're working on the inaugural project with the district to help small developers create workforce housing. And this is, you mentioned the sponsor, and I've got to give a great shout-out to Todd Lee at the Department of Housing and Community Development. I'm not going to give away what it is because the mayor's going to announce this in a week or two, but um, we're going to be funding the construction loan for five affordable townhomes so that people who work within the city can actually live here, too. And Wouldn't that's, that be a novel option? I mean, really? Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. But this is the kind of thing that we do at City First, and, you know, you, I hope you can just hear it in my voice. We love this. We live and breathe this stuff. This is what gets us going in the morning. And it's, you know, 
it may not be the highest paid career choice, but where can you work and also feel good about what you do for the community at the same time that you're giving back every day? That, that, that means a lot to us. That's a great feeling. It's funny that you brought up the farm to table because I was equating it with the shop local and Mm -hmm. bank local. Yeah. You know, this is a great opportunity for small businesses and for people, uh, just that live in the neighborhood or in D.C. Mm-hmm. that want mm-hmm. to support their community. Yeah. We can open IOLTA accounts for people. You know, we've got so many different options that Charlene helps our clients with. And they know that, you know, they may not be getting that. It could be a quarter of a point less in return, but the money's going back to the community. And if you look at the math and, and, and you talk about exponential growth, it's massive versus sending it to San Francisco, for example, or Manhattan or wherever else. Right. This has been good information because I really didn't understand a com- what a community bank was I- until this. So, uh, Other than a bank in the community. Well, right. Yeah. I, right. I, 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 think it's, um, I, I think it's fantastic that you guys exist and that you do the work that you do. Um, w- earlier you mentioned, uh, you know, when when you have to say no to a small business that you don't just say no, that you, you give them information on how they can switch that to yes. Um, how, how does that worked out? Do they then go back and fix what they can fix and come back and, and we get a thumbs up then, or uh, do you offer um, assistance in, in getting to, to those steps? Are there any training programs or you refer out to training programs or consultants or anything like that? So we're fiduciaries, and we're bound to um, secrecy, and I can't tell you about any of my existing clients. However, (laughs) since you notice that there's a limited amount of hair on the top of my head, I will uh, tell you about a case um, where a client came to me, and um, she was a manager of about 60 day spas, and the company decided to close down, and she went out and started looking for a new business. And her husband's a a Prince George's County police officer, and so he has a full-time job with income and benefits and so on. And uh, she finally decided that she wanted to buy beer and wine, liquor, some kind of store. And when I uh, met her, and I I don't remember exactly how I met uh, Pinky and Peppy, but um, they had spent about thirty-some thousand dollars on legal contracts for the purchase of several different stores, that none of which made sense. And we kept looking at places, and finally I said, Pinky Rogers, come sit down with me and let me show you a free cash flow analysis. So free cash flow analysis is pretty simple. You look at the net number at the bottom of a tax return from a business. You add back the depreciation because it's a non-cash item that comes out of what looks like the total real cash flow. You flip back a few pages into the miscellaneous section of the tax return, and you open up and you look for amortization. You add that back for the same reason. Sounds really simple. It is. And (laughs) next thing you know, you you, you take like, you know, if if the prior owner has like, his kids uh, who are away at college, uh, cell phones being paid for out of the business, and his wife's car. I mean, things that small businesses can do if they feel like it, but drain the cash down. You can add all that back too. And then you get a number that says, oh, I have $1,000 available to pay debt. I said, what we need is 
one where this number is 1.25 times bigger than what your mortgage is going to be. And if it's not, you're not paying the right price for the business, and then you have to worry about having working capital. So we looked at a couple more businesses. She finally threw in the towel. She gave up, and she started her own. And I remember going to a Chamber of Commerce function about a year ago with John Delaney, uh, our lovely congressman from uh, Montgomery County, and she won a Chamber of Commerce Award for Small Business of the Year, which she got up and said, I made every single mistake you could possibly make when I started this business. <laughs> and I learned the hard way, and here's what they were. So I coached her into what she needed to do, and I did the same thing with Martin Mayorga, Mayorga Coffee. I think it took us nine years. He came to me, and I said, you know, Martin, you don't have debt service coverage. You don't have that 1.25 times, that number. And I'm saying this over again because if you're a borrower and you don't speak that language, you blew it. Just come to the bank and know exactly what you think you need to borrow. Show where you're going to spend that money. Calculate what your payment's going to be and show them what your cash flow is going to be so you can say, I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So I do. I do. I sit down and I coach people. Yeah, that's that's good because so many banks uh, that supposedly – you know, specializing commercial lending, it's a it's sorry. A, yeah, it's a flat yes yep. or no with uh, right with no follow up, no no no. Here's help. What you, right. So and that's what people uh, need. Yeah, I'm so. in the uh, I hope what goes around comes around model, and one day maybe it'll come around. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but so far, I get a couple pats on the back, and that's good. So uh, this is completely unrelated to small business lending, but uh, I think it's awesome. Um, Eddie here is the subject uh, of a great video that was uh, shown at the White House Correspondence Dinner. Oh, really? Yes. It's, it was a nice little joke video mm-hmm. involving President Obama and, um, and the handshake. Ah. Uh, so um, we'll, uh, I'll see if I can embed that mm. link in our show notes so, so folks can see it. But, uh, but, hey, way to be famous for something completely different. It was my two seconds of fame, and, uh, you know, I, um, I like to work hard, and, and, I, and I play hard, and I'm very sarcastic, and I do it intentionally because I kind of uh, feel like, you know, look, we're, we spend most of our day at work together, so at least I can do is make fun of myself, let alone everybody else around me, and everybody makes fun of me. It, it's pretty cool, but... Um, Talk about family. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, was, it was great to get a phone call and have one of your friends call you at, I think it was a little after 10 o'clock in the opening of the Jay Leno show and said, you're on TV. <laughs> and it was the last uh, show before Jay took over the Conan O'Brien slot. And then um, they asked if they could show it again at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And I've been a very vocal advocate for small business. And I've been on the Hill. And um, I had met the president over at one of my clients. The White House called and said, listen, um, the president has this new initiative with regard to uh, a tax incentive associated with small businesses that provide training for their employees. And we're trying to do it in order to help businesses rebuild and get people back into the workforce. There are some you know, structural issues associated with unemployment, and if we could retrain some people, we could get them back in. And um, we went over to a facility. Um, it was a mechanical and electrical company that I financed. Basically, the Secret Service took it over for an entire week, changed the way it looked, the whole thing. We had the head of the SBA there at the time and a bunch of reporters. And it was really interesting because um, the president turned to me during this speech and he said, and I want to help thank my friends at this particular bank. 
and on national, international television because they were, they were all, the press was all there. And I said, excuse me, sir, uh, I work for this particular other bank, and we're a few billion times smaller than them. But I wasn't going <laughs> to let the big bank, they weren't a certain big bank with a lot of credit cards on the other side of the river from us where we're sitting right now. I wasn't going to let them take credit. I couldn't do that. And then, um, and then we got mocked, and I said, you know, it's, it's okay. I don't, I, as long as it's not derogatory to the president, because I think he worked really hard, and I think he was handed a very difficult scenario um, when he took over. And we were really close to what I consider to be a, a you know, inability. We were going to collapse. Our, our economic system was at a point where I think we were a couple weeks away from not being able to use our credit cards and um, – not being able to get any money out of the banks, and he had to make a decision. Whether right or wrong, history will tell, but he did make a decision, and we did turn it around, and, you know, here we are now in a period of growth, and small businesses, I still think they're weak. I still understand that, you know, they've got tight issues with their capital when, when, when our government officials change rules and regulations, even minimum wage issues. They they have to suck it up and sometimes they can't afford to and that's why we see up and down these corridors a lot of turnover and some of our retail storefronts and things of that nature and we're trying to avoid that so coming back full swing beside the fact that I like to have fun and yes it was my two seconds of fame but nobody called me for any endorsements I can tell you that right now <laughs> I did get a really cool uh, baseball hat out of it which which people which I wear on the streets every day and if you see me on 14th and you uh, people call me Joe because they think my hat that says morning Joe has something to do with me but it's not everybody's saying morning yeah, Joe. It's just <laughs> Scarborough <laughs> sent me a hat and I thought it was really nice say if we show this on our show I said yeah, you can show it but I, I want some swag so, <laughs> so you have a hat so to they show sent for me, it. they sent see, me a hat always, always, I'm cheap always an, a lender type guy you yeah. know oh, you can yeah. do it but for a nominal interest fee right. of some swag exactly <laughs> exactly um, well thank you both for talking to us today um, if our listeners want to learn more about City First Bank um, how are they going to do that Call Charlene Davis. Oh, she's I think, mean, thank you. If yes, you, thank you. If you thank want, you. if you need, and then call back and say, Charlene, who is this? Yeah. <laughs> if you Pop love quiz. this city the way we love this city, and you're doing business here, and you're not banking with Charlene Davis, uh, please come sit down and talk to her and understand why it makes such a difference to work through a bank like ours that really focuses on giving back to our community. No and, pressure, Charlene. Okay, um, Charlene, what's your number? She can handle it. <laughs> Two zero two two four three seven one zero zero. Perfect. And if they want to find you all online, uh, website is uh, cityfirstbank.com. Correct. Yes. Right? Correct. And if people have questions about small business and all that, I'm also easy. Take me for a cup of coffee, and I'm at two zero two four two seven seventy seven hundred. And it's etuvin at cityfirstbank.com. E-T-U-V-I-N at cityfirstbank.com. Charlene, what's your email? C-D-A-V-I-S at cityfirstbank.com. Perfect. Right. Thank Perfect. you all so much for joining us. Oh, Thanks for having us on. We love what you guys are doing here. It's great. Keep up the great work. Oh, we're going to be talking some more, Eddie. We're going to be talking some more. All right. <laughs> all right. Okay, now it's time to check in with Casey at Good Food Markets. Good morning, Casey. How are you? Good morning, Kyle. I'm great. How are you? Good, good, good. So how how's the heat treating you over there? It is it is hot. I can't tell you how many of our vendors that we work with have come in um, just in a tizzy um, because their coolers have broken, their freezers have broken. Um, these machines are working crazy hard right now, and we we remember that from last year for sure. Knock on wood, we've been 
um, pretty lucky this year, but everyone is just having such a hard time with this weather. It, it, it is. It is miserable, and nobody really wants to go anywhere or do anything but sit and eat ice cream and drink beer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of white wine sales. It's unbelievable. Um, and it's funny because we, we close every night at, at 9 p.m., um, but a lot of folks know that you know our open hours are 11 a.m. to 9 p.m., but let's say it was early in the morning and you needed to grab milk or eggs and you knock on the door, maybe you call, like, I'll, I'll probably let you in, um, even though I might not be ready yet. But this was late at night. It might have been about 9.45. Philip and I were uh, wrapping stuff up upstairs. The lights were on, but uh, the door was locked. And uh, one of our most regular customers from just the very beginning pulls up in a car um, you know, tries to open the door, realizes it's locked, and just gives me this puppy dog face. Like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I open the door and just see, you know, what was it exactly that you needed? You clearly wanted something. Um, and he was like, ice cream. I ate the last of it. I had no idea. I didn't realize there wasn't more. I'm going to be in so much trouble. I just got to get ice cream. <laughs> so we let him in. We started a tab. He'll pay next time he's in. But he got a, a peanut butter ice cream and a chocolate chip ice cream. That <laughs> is awesome. And that, folks, Save is, the night. <laughs> that is why it is so important to uh, to support our friendly neighborhood good food market because, oh, my God, where else are you going to get such small-town personalized service? <laughs> Anything to help save the day. Clearly, <laughs> clearly he was in a pinch. That, um, there was probably a relationship on the line there, right? Totally. Exactly. We just saved a marriage. Exactly. <laughs> that is awesome. That's awesome. But yeah, Casey. we're totally happy to do that. I mean, we've all been there. So if we're, if we're around and we're working, we are happy to help. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, what else is going on at the market? What else is new? Yeah, I think actually probably a couple of weeks ago in our newsletter, we had put out that we're trying to carry more seconds now um, because every year, you know, we find a lot people find out about us. We make some new friends in the city um, and we get a lot of more options for produce buying. And we've been trying to bring in um, seconds produce, you know, since we started at the very beginning. Um, but well, wait, wait, you know, the, what is seconds produce? Seconds produce. Okay. So there's this trend right now going on with, you can call them seconds, you can call them uglies, um, but it's any of the fruits or vegetables that have been grown, usually on a conventional, traditional farm, um, that won't fit into a box. They're either, um, they've got a blemish, or they're shaped funny, um, and for whatever reason, they don't make it into, you know, the the 6 by 6 count of tomatoes, or um, the 24 count box of romaine, um, and so they get discarded. You know, sometimes they're composted, and a lot of times they're not. They're just tilled under back into the soil. So what a lot of folks are trying to do um, in other cities as well as abroad is, is find a use for these fruits and vegetables that aren't um, able to be retailed um, ordinarily. So some people are making juice. We actually carry Misfit Juice, which right, is right. a uh, Georgetown alum-run uh, business. These are students who... They must have only graduated like three years ago. They're still babies. Um, and they're phenomenal. They take produce from local farms and they turn it into delicious juices, uh, cold-pressed juice, which really for cold-pressed juice, it's, it's affordable um, compared to some of the other stuff that you might find at a farmer's market. Um, but, you know, sometimes you don't even need to turn it into juice. You can still retail it. It's just not so pretty. 
So we buy it for cheaper. We can sell it for cheaper. It's just as nutritious. Um, it just doesn't look the same. So we've been experimenting with that, and people love it, turns out. That's great. People I, love a deal. Um, don't we and all? And especially these, these charming little eggplant um, and tomatoes that have, you know, extra things on them. Um, it, it's a really good way to reduce our waste um, and consume some of these things that, you know, have had, have had a lot of work put into them. And they taste every bit as delicious. Tastes every bit as delicious. And I love Misfit Juices. I yeah, those are those are some great things, and I'm glad you're 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 carrying them there. Yeah, totally. So, um, so that's the healthy discussion. Mm-hmm. What what's going on with ice cream and beer? What have we got in ice cream? <laughs> I'm trying to think of any of the new ice creams that we've got right now. We have been bringing in just piles and piles of Halo Top. People sure do love Halo Top. <laughs> it, it, it feels is. like a non-guilt ice cream. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's supposed to be protein-rich, um, nutrient-dense, and, and less the calories. Yeah. Give but, me uh, just one second, Kyle. I've got um, I've got my staff asking me a question. So we can edit that. I think it's from Philip. He's calling me on my cell phone right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, okay. So... Halo Top ice cream. Yeah, people love Halo Top. Personally, I don't think it does the same thing. I don't think I get the same kind of ice cream experience um, when I'm eating a pint of Halo Top. But um, I've heard that if you're looking for more of like a, a sweet treat, perhaps a frozen yogurt, that it might cut it for you. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm going in, I'm I'm going to that Trickling Springs all the way. <laughs> go big or go home. <laughs> Full fat. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay. Um, well, Casey, please remind our listeners where they can find all this deliciousness, healthy or otherwise. Healthy or otherwise, we are here for you. Open hours or not, <laughs> we'll do what we can. We are at 2006 Rhode Island Avenue Northeast on the corner of 20th and Rhode Island. Um, you can find us online at goodfoodmarkets.com. And please um, engage with us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we'll see you in the shop sometime soon. Sounds great, Casey. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. Bye. Bye. Our second guest today is uh, Ms. Lucinda Babers, the director of the D.C. Department of Motor Vehicles, correct? Correct. Thank you, Kyle, for having me. Thank you for joining us today. Um, so for our listeners, uh, in case you don't know, there is a DMV branch right here on Rhode Island Avenue Main Street. Uh, it's in the Rhode Island Row Shopping Center, uh, right near the Rhode Island Avenue Metro Station. Uh, and boy, you guys always have a line out the door. Absolutely. Because it's so close <laughs> to that metro station, Kyle, it is one of the residents' favorite. And you know who doesn't want to hang out at the DMV with you guys? Everyone wants to hang out with us. You know, I've never had, I have never had a bad experience at the D.C. DMV. Well, wonderful, wonderful. Keep them coming, those good experiences. <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, okay, so uh, Lucinda, you are here today to talk about um, some, some ID stuff. Uh, for, for DMV. Uh, and, and I recently learned that DC has four different types of ID cards. Well, absolutely, Kyle. So currently we have 
four designs that are in circulation. And basically, the difference in those designs, we have what we called um, two older versions. So one of those designs, it says Washington, D.C. as our jurisdictional name. That's what I got. Right, and it has the blue background. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we went from that design to a new design that said District of Columbia with our cherry blossoms on there. We also, in November of 2013, we started not issuing credentials over the counter, but we started mailing them. So then we started giving you a paper credential that's good for 45 days. So that is what we also called a third design. And then June 1st, we rolled out the fourth design. And that is we went back to Washington, D.C. as the jurisdictional name on the cherry blossom design. Oh, all right. All right. So I I think I'm due for, um, I think I'm... Are you due for a renewal, Kyle? I might be here pretty... Oh, not until 2019. So I'm good for a couple of years. And Absolutely, because they're all still current. So, you know, I want to make sure that the listening audience know that regardless of which of those four designs they have, they're all official until they expire right and the expiration date is on that card and uh, and you have a slogan out uh don't renew until it's due they're all official absolutely all right all right um so let's let's back this a little bit up the department of motor vehicles um in addition to these license and id cards what else does the dmv uh, provide in the way of services so our dmv we're a little different we're state we're county we're a local city. And so in addition to providing licensing and identification services, we also do the inspection, titling, and registration of vehicles. And then we do the adjudication of tickets. Now, I need to be clear <laughs> to the listening audience. Don't call Lucinda directly. <laughs> well, well, DMV does not issue tickets, Kyle. People think we issue tickets. We do no. not issue tickets. Most of the tickets are issued by the Department of Public Works if they're parking tickets, and then by the Metropolitan Police Department if they're photo enforcement or movement violations. Mm -hmm. We also are not responsible for signage. The signage that tell you where to park and whether you can park in the residential parking that is the Department of Transportation. I know. It is it is a confusing alphabet soup of just parking issues. It is. It is. And I do try my best to make sure that the residents of the District of Columbia or Washington, D.C. understand what agencies do what. Yeah. And, and thank you for clarifying that because it it is it's a maze to get through to figure out who you need to talk to about what. Uh, parking signs, for instance. Um you know, and who and who manages the parking meters, because sometimes the signs on the parking meters are different than the signs on the street. Sometimes that's the case. But when that is the case, we do encourage the residents to contact the Department of Transportation. Yeah. 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 OK. All right. Uh, so DMV is the adjudication of ticket services. So when you get a ticket and and it's your ticket to pay, you go through DMV for that. Correct. We accept the payment of tickets, you can do that online. Hopefully you'll skip the trip, which is another one of our slogans. We do not want to see customers any more than they want to see us. <laughs> so we invite them to go online. Um, they can also pay tickets by phone or they can mail the payment. So we have a variety of options to allow you to just continue with the rest of your life right. and not come to DMV. 
Uh, I love that. I love that. Um, so, you know, you mentioned the, the vehicle inspection and the service centers. Where, where are the different service centers located in, in the District of Columbia? Well, Kyle, we actually have a service center. And at a service center now, you can only do the licensing, identification, and vehicle-related services. There's no adjudication at our service center. But we have a service center in each quadrant. We have one on, um, that's called Benning Ridge that's on Benning Road in southeast. We have the one that you actually already told the listeners that's on Rhode Island Row, which is in northeast. We have a service center in southwest, which is on 95M Street. And then our last one is up in northwest in our Georgetown area in the Georgetown Park. Right, right. I've, I've been to that one a couple of times, too. All, all very nice. Um, are there uh, in your inspection location, that's in southwest? Absolutely. Southeast. That's 1001 Half Street Southwest. It is actually around the corner from our Southwest Service Center. So if you do happen to need to get your vehicle inspected, and then, um, well, first of all, if you then need to renew that registration, you can no longer renew your registration in person. Mm-hmm. You must do it either online or by mail. That is good to know. That right. is. So vehicle registration cannot be done in person. It can only be done online uh, at DMV. DMV.DC.gov. All right. Or or mailed in. But I know because we, uh, we just renewed the registration on our family car. Uh, you get something in the mail well in advance. There's no reason to be late on it. Absolutely. You lots of advance <laughs> notice. <laughs> turn it in. Turn right around and, and uh, mail it back in if needed. Um, uh, how late are the, the service centers usually open? So all of our four service centers are open Monday, not Monday. We're closed on Monday, but they're open Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday from 815 to 4. Now, on Wednesdays, all of our locations open an hour later. So those service centers on Wednesday are open from 915 to 4. Gotcha. Gotcha. And all of that information uh, is on the website, too. It is. And if it's... A person does not have access to the website, then they can call 311, which is the mayor's call center, but they handle calls on behalf of DMV. Right, right. Um, okay, so let's talk about the quote unquote real ID. Absolutely. Delighted to talk about that, Kyle. What, what is a real ID? So, real ID is a federal requirement that most jurisdictions across the across the country are trying to comply with that are just more stringent requirements. So DCDMV, we implemented Real ID on May 1st of 2014. And basically, we are now required not only by federal law, but then we passed some D.C. regulations that says that regardless of whether you are renewing your credential, you're getting a first-time credential, you're changing your address, you're getting a duplicate because you lost your license, when you come in to see us, you need to go online because you're going to have to bring certain documents. Mm-hmm. Proof of identity, passport, whether it's a passport or a birth certificate. You're going to need one proof of Social Security number, usually your Social Security card, or you can do a W-2 or 1099 tax okay. form. Right. And then you need two acceptable proof of residence, which is usually a bank statement, a lease. Utility bill. Utility bill. Okay. As long as it's recent, within 60 days. But you must bring those documents. Now, there are some residents who think that there are exceptions. 
because they're senior. Mm. No, even seniors, um, you know, need to come in and need to revalidate those documents. So there aren't any exceptions. And one of the most difficult things that we have at DMVs across the country is people not having the necessary documents. So we're always trying to reach out to the residents to make sure that they know what they need to bring. In advance. Right. Rarely can you walk through the doors of DMV Mm empty-handed to get a service. (laughs) And, and, you know, in in this particular day and age, um, for for good or bad, that's the way it is for everything. I mean, you you just, I think everybody needs to expect now that you got to prove who you are and and you got to have your backing documents for it. And used to be able to get away with handshake and I've lived here all of my life and I know your mama. But not anymore. Right. The do you know who I am is mm. met with no, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> as well, well, you really don't have any choice in the matter. This is a federal requirement. As Absolutely. You, as you, so, so, folks, when you go into your DMV office, please don't make life hard for the poor person sitting behind the counter because they're just doing what the federal government told them to do. Right. That's correct. That's right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's not the only uh, change happening with IDs these days. Uh, we talked about the new credential, which is, uh, you already mentioned, is, uh, is going to have the, the cherry blossoms in the background, and the jurisdiction will be Washington, D.C. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, a couple of years ago when the District of Columbia jurisdiction was the only thing on the ID that that people in other parts of the country unfortunately were questioning that as being a valid ID right it, it's sad geography apparently is not the strong <laughs> <laughs> the strong thing in our country but there were some individuals who were unaware that the District of Columbia was the nation's capital and we although we are not yet a state Kyle not yet we're not working on that we are treated like the states, and we are to be recognized as a valid credential. I mean, as long as they're going to keep tax- taking our taxes, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I believe we pay more taxes than a couple of juris- a couple of states put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a whole nother show, Lucinda. Let's, <laughs> let's have you back for a roundtable on that whole oh, other show. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Just let me know, Cal. All right, all right. Um, so uh, the other new thing that's going to be coming out on the driver's licenses or the ID cards um, is the option for a gender-neutral license. Is that Well, Cal, it's not going to be coming out. It already is? On June 27th at 7.56 a.m., I had the distinct pleasure to issue the first gender-neutral identifier, which was an X, in these United States. Oh, wow. That, you were a piece of history right there. Absolutely. And it's such a, um, it's such a forward-thinking thing to do mm-hmm. because there are individuals who they're simply, they don't identify as either a male or a female. And we need to start recognizing that and accepting that and allowing them to have that option. Yep, yep. I think it's fantastic, uh, and I'm I'm proud to be uh, a district resident, and I, I'm now proud to know you that you had this role in history. Um, so, w- for someone that uh, wants to check that box, do they have to provide any additional documentation for that? There is no additional documentation um, that they have to provide for that. It is now on our 
driver's license application for you to check M, F, or unspecified. Mm-hmm. There is another form that we call a gender um, self-designation form that also can be filled out, but that in, it, in and of itself is optional. You get you get the right to say what you want. We're not gonna. We don't need medical documentation. We don't need any other documentation that you would need to bring with you, because if we can give you the form at the DMV. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. So, how did that come to be? If I it, can you give me a brief history on that? Well, absolutely, Kyle. You know, we were back in two thousand, around two thousand four. We were probably, once again, probably the first in the country to introduce a gender designation form that allowed individuals to indicate that on their license they wanted an M or an F, even though their birth certificate or passport may have said something different. Mm. So we have simply been progressive. In um, Mayor Bowser, when it was um, proposed to her back in 2016, about July of 2016, actually, didn't hesitate did not hesitate in saying that absolutely this is something that we wanted to do at the time we didn't even think about be, you know being the first in the in the nation it was the right thing to do and we simply moved forward with it that's that's great but it's got to it's got to raise a bunch of questions for folks that have to um, use IDs to verify individuals uh, what what's what, if anything, is DMV doing uh, for education around that? Absolutely. Kyle, you're correct. First of all, we have reached out to TSA, credit union associations, bank associations. We reached out to our vital records. We um, reached out to ABRA so that they can communicate to bars and restaurants to let them know that we were making this change. It is a change that is also being considered in various other jurisdictions. Oregon has now implemented, they implemented on July 3rd, and California is considering it. The beauty of this is that other jurisdictions are also following. And when that happens, the communication just continues to get out there. Mm -hmm. And all the rest of the um, entities that utilize it are simply now saying we have to be aware they're training their people. Now, one thing that we actually wanted to do is we, quite frankly, wanted to take gender off the credential. Mm. Because why is it necessary? I should just be able to look at your picture, Kyle, and then look at you, and as long as what I see is what's on the credential, I should be able to keep it moving. Unfortunately, when Real ID was introduced in the law, they say we have to have the gender or the sex on there. So we couldn't just totally take it off. Mm -hmm. But when you really start thinking about it, I think that maybe in a few more years, we may just get away from it being on the credential in the first place. That would be nice. You know, that would be nice. And and maybe that would uh, maybe that would be impactful on a whole lot of areas of gender division. Absolutely. Because you may not recall, Kyle, but years ago when the license first came out, there was not even a picture. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I don't think I had one on my very first license. Absolutely. Yeah. Ah, good point. Good point. So, um, would you um, anticipate there being some some pushback from the from the real ID, uh, the federal requirements about having an unspecified action on there? 
No, because it is a an X. It's actually a gender identifier. Oh, okay. So and that's so, from a federal level. That's an acceptable gender identifier. Right. Well, they didn't specify. <laughs> they did not specify whether we had. They didn't say you have to have an M or an F. So that's the that's the key. I love it. I love it. You found a loophole and are working it. Absolutely. That's great. Um, that's very exciting. And I think uh, I think. While there's been a lot of discussion in the news about, you know, quote unquote, bathroom safety issues, you know, I think the folks that um, may choose an X instead of one of the more traditional binary binary M or Fs, uh, I think that the the Xs are far more at risk uh, in in situations than any M or F ever would be. And uh, I think this is one step in providing them with a level of, of safety and security that is long overdue. So thanks for being part of that historic event. Oh, absolutely. I, it was my pleasure. Uh, so in your, in your day-to-day experience at DMV, um, what would you say are some of the, the biggest challenges that your office faces? Well, Kyle, we already discussed <laughs> the, the biggest one, and that is... Unfortunately, we do have residents and non-residents because, of course, we are um, that state function coming in without the necessary documents. So I simply cannot encourage um, the residents enough. Please go on online, once again, dmv.dc.gov, or call the Mayor's Call Center at 311 before you make a trip. And I even recommend you call before you come to make sure we're open. We still get a lot of residents who show up on Monday, and the service centers are Tuesday through Saturday operation. Uh-huh. Now, adjudication services is a Monday through Friday, and people may wonder, well, why is that? We actually are are that way because of the court system. Yeah, 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 uh, and and that's never going to change. The court systems aren't going to change. Well, I I tried. I tried to put them on a Tuesday through Saturday, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it would be fair and equitable to have it Tuesday through Saturday, but, you know, anyway. That's a whole other show, too. Um, so uh, we're going to be seeing some uh, some other education things rolling out from DNV about the new IDs. Uh, yep. Absolutely. We're putting together a public service announcement or a video to make sure that the public is aware um, first and foremost, that we do have for um, license and identification designs, but that they're all valid, you know, um, don't renew until, until it's, it's due. due. Yeah. <laughs> they're all official. Very good. Very good. Good, good, good reminder. Um, so uh, are there any other DMV related services that we haven't touched on? Those are our core services. There are a variety of other things that we may do, um, a lot of them on behalf of other, juris- of other agencies, such as we issue disability placards for the Department of Transportation, the district uh, the, department. The little hanging cards for vehicles to park in. Absolutely. We issue residential parking permits yeah. for the Department of Transportation, the district Department of Transportation. So we do a lot of things that come with have owning a vehicle, and um, having that credential, and once again, it may be confusing, but when you think about it, we do it because we have the physical location or we have the website services. Now, let me just speak about our online services because that is always a, um, a pleasure. We have 
approximately 55 online services. We're in the top five in the nation, the number of services. So I encourage the residents that even before you leave out the house, check online to see if, in fact, you may be able to, you know, complete your transaction online. Skip the trip. Absolutely. Try to skip the trip. Yeah, I'm looking at your website now, and, um, you know, it says right at the top in a very big red box uh, about the uh, the change in the, the new driver's licenses that will be issued. Um, you've also got some very specific spring and summer hours for the inspection station. Correct. You know, it's hot out th- Kyle, it is hot out oh, there. Oh, I know. And I know. so we do adjust the inspection station hours because um, those employees are outside. Oh, they're in a miserably hot bay. I've when been they're, there. When they're in the um, the lanes, that lane is about 10 degrees hotter than the field outside. I believe it. So we, we have them open and up earlier. They're actually now open 6 o'clock a.m. to 2 p.m. That's that's fantastic. I um we when we got our new car the the uh, inspection changed to april which i was very happy about because the last one was in august and you know i felt so bad for the guys working in in that bay i almost felt guilty bringing my car in for inspection (laughs) (laughs) well kyle let me let me point out one thing since you brought up the um, inspection i do want to make sure that residents um understand that we have a separate inspection sticker on the vehicle than the registration sticker. Yes. We get a lot of um, residents who believe that their inspection is still valid because they mistakenly were looking at the registration sticker. Mm. And they end up coming to the inspection station late, and that is a $20 fee every 30 days that they're late. So we want to make sure that they know there is a sticker on the left side, there's a sticker on the right side. And when they get the renewal notices, please open them. <laughs> we have people who walk into our service center and they have not opened the renewal notice. Oh. And inside of the renewal notice for the license and the ID, it has the information about the real ID requirements. Oh. The fact that you needed to bring additional yeah. documents. And they didn't bring anything else. Right. Yeah. So there's there is just a wealth of of information that we have available and we try to communicate and um it is difficult. It's difficult to try to communicate so uh let, let's talk about those inspections for just a minute number number one uh dc has um an emissions test that you do correct so for all passenger vehicles which is what you and i have kyle there is an emissions test requirement every two years and unfortunately we can't extend that that is a federal law and we get, a, we get people sometimes who email us or they call us and they want to know, can they just get an extension of 30 days? And unfortunately, we cannot. You'll just have to be prepared to pay the $20 late fee each month that you couldn't bring it in for whatever reason. Right. Um, so, you know, we always want to point out to residents the impact of what's going to happen. Right. And... Um you don't um like when you go to get your car inspected you don't pay for the inspection right there correct so Kyle I don't know if you remember 13 years ago the inspection line met itself it wrapped all the way around went to (laughs) Delaware and it met itself and one of the things that we found out was that the line was being backed up because customers could customers were waiting to pay 
for the inspection mm. in the inside of the station, which meant their car was just sitting waiting for them to come get out. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we eliminated when you pay for it so that you can hop in your car and you can leave and we can keep that line moving. Yep. So you pay for your inspection at the time of registration. Mm-hmm. It may confuse you because the two dates aren't necessarily the same. Your inspection date is probably not the same as your registration date. Once you've paid for your vehicle registration, you have also paid for your vehicle inspection. Exactly. You should see that fee. Yep. And I'm I'm here to tell you my last inspection, uh, by the time I pulled my car into line, which was in in the parking lot, not out around the the street, uh, from the time I pulled up, uh, to the time I pulled out and left took exactly 20 minutes. And there were cars ahead of me, but not, I mean, it was fantastic. fantastic. We, we have been doing everything we can to speed up not only the inspection station line, but the line in the service centers, the line at adjudication. That is something that DMVs um, are constantly trying to address is that customer wait time because we want to get you in and out. If you have to come see us, we don't want you to see us for long. <laughs> I'm sensing a theme here, Lucinda. Absolutely. <laughs> we like you, but not not, not that much. Not that often. Yes. <laughs> now, one other thing I, would, I do want to say, Kyle, um, about inspection is we have an appointment system for inspections, but that is an optional system. Sometimes um, residents get confused and they think they can't come get an inspection unless they have an appointment. And they'll contact us and say, well, but I can't get an appointment. There's no available slots for two weeks. But it, I expire optional just come on down most of the time you don't even need an appointment the appointments come around the corner and find out there's nobody there <laughs> so they really didn't need an appointment but uh, it's optional yeah. um, are there any differences uh, in ha- how you handle uh, the registration and inspections um, for commercial uh, vehicles Absolutely. So commercial vehicles, because of the nature of the fact that they're normally bigger vehicles, there's um, potentially more safety issues, they have to, in addition to the emissions, they have to have a safety inspection still. So we eliminated the safety inspection for passenger vehicles, but those commercial vehicles still have to have that. Now, taxis have to have an even third inspection that we do. And that is they have to have the inspection to make sure that they have the proper equipment to be a taxi cab. Mm. The the meters and the card scanners. Right, and, and like the that. dome and and right. we look in the we look into the trunk to see if it's clean because your your luggage has is going in there. Oh, very good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's great cuz that that's not something that happens in every jurisdiction and Right. Yeah, I've yeah, well, I'll save that war story for another time. But yeah, <laughs> um, well, very good. Um, so let's uh, let's get this back to the IDs now um, because that's that's the big change that's rolling out here. Um, if you had one piece of advice besides making sure <laughs> that you have all your federally required documentation with you, uh, if you have one piece of advice besides that to offer up to folks that are coming in to renew their, their IDs, what would that be? Well, actually, first and foremost, I would like to make sure that, once again, residents understand that just because we, on June 1st, went back to utilizing Washington, D.C. as the jurisdiction on our credential, they do not have to come in. 
they do not have to come in until that credential expires. What we don't want to happen is we don't want a lot of residents like you, Kyle. You just told me you don't expire until 2019. Uh-huh. We don't want you to decide that you're just going to come to the DMV. I want some cherry blossoms. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't want you to come tomorrow okay. just to get Washington, D.C., because we, we, want, we don't want additional people in our lines. Yeah, you right. sense that theme. We still are on that theme, but it but it's a streamlining thing, you know. It's it because I'm sure it's not that you don't want to see us. It's just that you want to make sure it's a pleasant experience for everybody that has to be there. Absolutely, and it will be a pleasant experience if you wait until 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I don't come muck up the works and clog up your lines because I want some cherry blossoms on my ID. All right, uh, you have convinced me. I will. I would just keep my blue right. license. Well, Kyle, I'll just say I think people are a little surprised. Um, the real ID license that um, is going to on October 1st of 2020, everybody has to have a real ID with the black star in the upper right-hand corner in their pocket to board an aircraft. Oh. And so we're going to make sure that everybody has that credential prior to October 1st, 2020. That is a very important thing to know. Currently... My license does not expire until December of 2020. I still don't have a real ID. And people are like, but Lucinda, you're the director. What do you mean you don't have a real ID with a star? And I said, well, I don't need it. D.C. is a real ID compliant jurisdiction until October 1st, 2020. And so I'm not just going to go and pay. First of all, I have to pay $20 to get a duplicate. And I have no reason to. No, no. And I still have the District of Columbia on my life. (laughs) I did not run out and go get Washington, D.C. Because, once again, why would I clog up the line any more than I'm trying to tell you not to clog up the line? (laughs) So so it's just really um, important. What's that slogan again? Uh, Don't renew till it's due. They're all official. They're all official. All right. Um, So, uh, Lucinda Babers, this has been a very informative chat. Thank you so much for taking time to come talk to us. Um, and uh, we'll be seeing more information roll out. If you have information you would like us, us to share uh, with community members, um, feel free to send me stuff via email and we'll get it out uh, to our network. Well, thank you, Colin. Thank you for having me. Ah, thank you so much. Uh, Lucinda Babers, director of the DMV. We will uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Okay, so that is going to wrap up another episode of Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Michelle, uh, we're going to be off next week. We're not going to have a new new episode next week. So uh, uh, catch up on uh, some of our back episodes if you haven't. And um, and we'll be be And like our page on Facebook. Absolutely. And tell your friends. Tell all your friends. All right, folks. Thanks. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.